Welcome to Generational Wealth MD's podcast on financial freedom through investing in real estate. My name is Param Baladandapani. I'm a mom, radiologist, real estate investor, and mentor to others looking to start or scale their real estate portfolios. Thank you for being here today. The goal of this podcast is to provide you with inspiration, strategies, and insight so that you can stop trading your time for money and live life on your terms. If you love the episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. This really calls to my heart. I've been meaning to do an education series on investing in syndications for quite some time, and I'm glad things fell into place and we're able to make time for it. I'm so excited to deep dive into this. Um, A little bit of background. Uh, Last year, I had a few friends who were in last year and this year who were investing in in real estate syndications, uh, and um, they wanted to invest in real estate passively. I was super excited for them Um, investing directly and owning your own portfolio it's not for everyone everyone doesn't have the desire to do it a lot of uh, physicians particularly don't have the time or the bandwidth um, to be growing their active portfolio especially when they're not in a program or um, in a close-knit community that's totally understandable but uh, the thing is that as i was watching my friends and people within the program um, and, and people i know start investing in syndications, especially when it was their first few deals, I started to notice a few problems. Just to let you guys know, let's call her X, right? X is a very close friend, very savvy um, financially. And um, when she invested in her first syndication, what she told me was that she loved the sponsor and um, she was committed to the deal. But when I looked at the deal, I realized that the returns per se It was very hard to understand what the actual return was going to be. I felt that it really did not match her strategy for investing. Um, And we had conversations for a few months. Um, Eventually, she realized what I was talking about when I educated her. I talked to her about industry standards. And so there was that experience. And then um, I also had another close friend and member, uh, let's call him Y, who um, also invested with a with a syndicator again great business plan amazing business plan but there were no performance projections provided to the investors the the sponsors um, did not really have a track record per se they had done this on a smaller scale before but you know they hadn't come full cycle and i was concerned that it didn't really completely fit with his risk return profile right so that was a concern that i had um Um, And, you know, as I saw more people invest, I had another one of my dear investors. He's now invested with us, with GW Capital, quite a few times. Um, He initially, this was last year, he brought a deal to me and he asked me with, you know, giving me the slide deck to vet the deal for him. And for those of you who have brought me deals, you know that I'm more than happy to look at any syndication opportunities that you're looking at. And I help you figure out if the risk reward profile makes sense for you. And so I looked at the the deck that was given to me and um, and I told him that, hey, this this looks good, but I really to be able to see because what you're seeing on the slide deck is just the polished picture. And to really know what's happening, you need to look under the hood. And I asked for detailed underwriting and sensitivity analysis, which every sponsor should be able to provide to you, um, at least sophisticated sponsors who are doing detailed underwriting, which your sponsor should be doing. And I never got it. So I wasn't really able to help him. And so what I realized is that as there is growing interest, as more and more physicians are investing in syndications, I also realized that oftentimes decisions were being made based on how much they knew, liked and trusted a sponsor or based on a business plan that was being pitched to them. But without really having strong metrics, performance projections to base their decisions on. Um, And when you don't have that, it's really, really hard to see if a project fits with your risk return profile, right? And this is why I created GW Capital. Um, I have been been a co-GP with a couple of my mentors and I've tried to bring curated vetted deals to the community. The goal has always been 
to have transparency, accountability, and leverage for our community. Um, at this point, by the end of 2022, we'll have over 800 drawers under management, $150 million, over $150 million worth of assets under management. Um, if any of you want to learn more, go to generationalwealthmd.com slash syndication. Many of you, again, I'm, I'm honored by the trust that you've all placed in me. I, I'm completely blown away. Uh, a lot of you weren't able to get into our Greenville deal. Um, you were then able to get into the Atlanta deal, but we had a long wait list for our last syndication opportunity in Atlanta. And for those of you who weren't able to get in, and for those of you who want to get into one more deal before the end of the year, our current offering is available at generationalwealthmd.com slash Atlanta. So go take a look at it. It's a fixed 3.6% interest rate, return of majority of capital in year three, and it's a targeted close in 2022. It's not guaranteed, but we're targeting it. So again, it's another awesome deal uh, that I'm very excited about. But as I've been doing this, I realized that I wanted to bring the resources to the community. I realized that the greatest impact would be with education. And that's why I am committed to doing this education series for you guys and I'm hoping to do more and more episode sessions where we deep dive into topics that you like so i'm open to feedback this is the first time i'm doing it i'm very excited uh but if there are other topics that you want me to focus on please make sure to, to let me know um some of you are interested in investing as passive investors in syndications a lot of you are have been in the coaching program um, creating generational freedom and you're doing both active and passive investing and there are ways to strategize around that to really boost your returns and you know i, I find all of that very interesting but the truth is there there is a lot of confusion and vagueness around deals and there are a lot of myths. And um, in this two-part live series, my goal is to empower you with the tools that you need to be able to do your own due diligence. Okay. You probably heard people say that when you're investing in syndications, you need to vet the sponsor and that is more important than vetting the deal. And that is absolutely right, but it's not the entire picture, okay? And so the way I like to look at investing in syndications is three-pronged. The first part is going to be clarity of why. What is your vision and why is it that you're trying to invest in syndications? The second part is going to be vetting. And when you're vetting, you're vetting the market that you're investing in, the sponsor, and you're also vetting the deal. Okay, so it's three-pronged again. And then the last part is going to be putting all of this together, right? Knowing your why, knowing how to vet, uh, um, you know, a market, the sponsor and the deal, and then looking at a deal and seeing if the risk return profile is what you're looking for. So it's actually plugging everything together and seeing if it makes sense for you. And I'm hoping that by the end of the two part live, you're gonna look at an investment deck, a slide deck, you're gonna look at a PPM and it is not gonna confuse you. You're actually gonna be excited about it because you really want to deep dive into it. Um, hopefully you guys have heard about Simon Sinek's golden circle method, uh, the model and what the model actually entails is it's like having three circles. Um, and the outer circle is the what the, the circle inside that is the how, and then the inner circle is the why. And Simon says that everybody knows the what, right? So if you're thinking about if in, in any business, right, the what, what do you do? Everybody knows that, right? Uh, what deals do you invest in? Everyone's looking for that and they're trying to make decisions about that. But the more important thing and what fewer people know is how, how do you get to that point? How do you do what you're doing? Um, how to vet a market, right? How do you vet a market? That's difficult. And then the, the inner circle, which is the why, only a handful of people really know their why, right? So why are you investing in syndications is super critical because like Simon says, successful leaders think from inside out, right? So. It's not about the, the what deals am I going to be investing in, but you start with the why and you go on to the how, and then we look at the what. And that's what the focus of this two-part live is going to be. We're going to start off with why you should be investing in syndications, why it makes sense for you, and how you're going to alter your strategy based on that, because one size does not fit all. The second part is going to be, like I said, wedding the sponsor, the market, and the deal and I'm going to talk to you about industry standards. And what I realized is that I've been doing this, I've been a GP for a while now, and when you're just starting out as an LP, a lot of times you don't know what industry standards are, which is why understanding a deal is hard, but also it, and it, it means that you end up learning from your own mistakes and we're gonna eliminate all of that, right? We're gonna talk about industry standards, 
so that you know what a deal most deals look like and you can use that to vet vet the deal that you're looking at and then the third part the third part is the fun part is where we're going to put it all together and say okay so what deals are good for me that fit my risk return profile i'm going to teach you how to do your own risk return analysis and how to stress test the deal if you are in the creating generational freedom uh, coaching program you know that we're all about stress testing um that's very important we're going to learn how to do that with syndications okay perfect let's get started i'm going to start off with the basics because i know some of you have been investing in syndications for a while you're you're sophisticated you know you're already pros but a lot of you are just beginning to think about it and i want to start from the basics so what is a real estate syndication it is when a bunch of people so a lot of you as investors pool your money together to invest in a larger asset multifamily apartment complexes 100 units 200 units 300 units right this is not something you could do individually but when you pull your money together you have the funds available to do it and within a syndication you have general partners also called the sponsors or the operators or the managers who are doing the work of identifying a deal underwriting it which means they just running the numbers seeing what the income's going to be expense is going to be how we're going to add value how we're going to exit making actually acquiring the asset, managing it, and making the decisions about exit. So all of that is being done by the core team or the general partners. And then you have the limited partners, which would be the investor who wants to invest passively, you put your money into the deal and you get returns. And um, limited partner is, is based on older terminology because they used to be limited partnerships, but it still does mean that you have limited liability in the deal. Even if you invest as an individual, the structure of the deal, which is typically an LLC, um, protects you because you have limited liability in the deal. And so you're called a limited partner. Okay. So the first question is going to be, why are you investing in syndications? And there are three primary reasons why people invest in syndications. And the first one is going to be returns. And I want to break this down um, in two different ways. Now, returns, and this is really, really important. Okay. Uh, if you've listened to me before, if you've been part of, in, of my lives, you know, of my lives in the past, you know that um, I really deep dive into this. And the goal with syndications for most of you is to get the highest risk adjusted return. Right. And so I'm going to talk in a little bit about what returns look like along the spectrum from index funds, which is where most of us invest, especially with our retirement accounts. And if you're like me, that's probably what you've been doing for a long time. Right. And then you start thinking about real estate and then you have this whole spectrum where you have syndications or passively investing in in real estate, you know, as, as a limited partner in a syndication. Then you have direct ownership where, again, you can be super passive. You have a property manager. You're just buying something that's turnkey. And then you have on the opposite end of the spectrum, something like a short-term rental, which is something we deep dive into in the coaching program. A lot of you are acquiring short-term rentals right now. Uh, the returns in that can be massive, right? So you have this whole spectrum. And the thing to remember is that with real estate, as the returns increase, there are ways to de-risk your deal where your returns are increasing, but you're actually taking on less risk than if you were investing in the stock market. And um, I'm not going to go into that too much, but you know, with the stock market, you have uh, market volatility, you have a sequence of return risk, which is when uh, the market drops and your uh, your income, your your retirement nest egg may not last you as long as you need it to, which is what happened during the 07, 08 crisis. So uh, when you invest in real estate and you really know what you're doing and you know how to de-risk your deal, you're increasing your returns without a proportionate increase in risk. And that's the important point, right? So this spectrum that I talked about, I'm going to break it down into actual numbers. And the reason I'm giving you the numbers, and I want all of you to try to do this, um, hopefully some of you have already done this because you've been part of uh, the ecosystem, but Financial independence is a game of returns, right? It's a game of returns. And how fast you get to financial independence is going to be dependent on your returns during growth, which is when you're aggressively saving and investing, and then your returns during retirement, which is when you're living off of your nest egg, right? So two different numbers. And I always talk about returns in terms of those two different numbers. Now, uh, for those of you who haven't used my retirement calculator before, if you go to the to the Generational Wealth MD website, generationwealthmd.com, go to the resources section, I have a financial independence worksheet over there download the worksheet, you get an Excel calculator, and you can actually plug in your actual numbers. And I actually 
the, uh, earlier today before hopping on when I was looking at this, I was like, I'm actually going to model this out and give you actual numbers. So you can actually see the impact of increasing your returns, right? And if you don't really understand this, you're going to pick the wrong deal, the one that doesn't make sense for you. And you're also likely going to have more hesitation when you're thinking about getting into a deal, because when you really understand why you're doing it and what impact it can have on your life and the life of your family, that's when you're propelled and motivated to make a decision, right? So let's look at those numbers. Um, for in stock market, when you're investing in index funds, you're, right, your returns during growth, they're going to be on average, historic averages, right? If you're primarily invested in um, in index funds without, you know, if your portfolio is no bonds, just just stock market in, in invested in index funds aggressively, right? So 10% is what you're getting. And we're giving stocks the benefit of the doubt here. So 10%, right? Now, during withdrawal, when you're when you retire, you can only withdraw 4% from that annually for that nest egg to last you 30 years. And then realizing that is when I made my com like completely shifted into real estate, because I was like, with a 4% safe withdrawal rate, if I wanted to get $10,000 a month uh, in passive income, I needed my stock portfolio to be greater than two and a half million dollars, close to three million dollars, right? And I was like, that would take a lot of time. Okay, so those are the numbers for the stock market. If you look at investing in real estate syndications, and that's very similar to buying turnkey rentals and 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 um, renting them out, if you're not being, you know, employing any strategies to boost returns or get aggressive. When you're investing in syndications, your returns, your average annualized return, which is what is in my opinion, the best way to compare your returns to stock to the stock portfolio. Now, um, day two, we're going to break down IRR and other metrics that you would use to compare your um, syndication investments to other syndications. But when you're comparing it to the stock market, I like using average annualized returns because it's a it's a better way of uh, assessing it and keep uh, um, you know comparing apples to apples. For syndications, your uh, your uh, ROI during growth, your average annualized returns are close to 20%. Okay. And, you know, when, you're, when we're looking for your number during retirement, when you are retired, and you're living off of your syndication investment, you may choose to invest less aggressively in syndications. And so just to be very conservative, we're going to bump that number to 10% during retirement for syndication investment. If you're investing in something where you, you know, you buy a uh, class A shares, all that means is that you get a guarantee 10% return every quarter on your money um, and you're not looking for any upside, right? So those would be the numbers for investing in syndications. Now, if you're investing actively in real estate, those returns could be, and you're you know rehabbing, you're doing short-term rentals, you're using strategies to boost returns, those numbers could be really high. Some of our members are getting 100% ROI uh, on their investments in year one, just because of having short-term rentals and using tax strategies. But you know, conservatively speaking, it could be 40% during growth and 20% during retirement, right? So now that's the spectrum that you're looking at. And so if I were to say that I wanted to get $10,000 a month in passive income, and I was able to save $5,000 a month, and I'm investing that in the stock market uh, with those returns, and you can project, you could model this in the calculator, you can put these numbers in. With the stock market, it would take me 18 years to get to financial freedom for me to get to the point where I could just live off of my nest egg. Now, with the way syndications are, with the returns being higher, I actually modeled this out and you can you can plug the same numbers in. you can plug in the numbers that make sense to you. So uh, to be able to get 10,000 a month in passive income from syndications, just because of the returns being higher with the same amount of money going in into the investment every month, it takes about eight years to get to retirement, right? So that's the impact, right? 18 versus eight, that's the impact of boosting your returns. And that's why most of you are thinking of in investing. And hopefully that's why most of you are thinking of investing in syndications, right? Because you really want to get to financial freedom that much faster. That's the most important thing to remember. Now, for some of you, you may want to, it may not be about the returns. You may be okay with getting a 10% annualized return on your syndication investments and that's for you to decide but I want you to make an informed decision because if you're not conscious about this that's going to you know it's going to impact your investing journey um, for the next decade right so this is something you need to think about right now the second thing I wanted to hit upon is in the current environment because this is a question that a lot of you have been thinking about I did a state of the market um, last month where I talked about this and just to briefly highlight it in the current environment if you're holding on to cash the question is what do you do with your money right um, interest rates are high uh, we may be going into a recession um, and uh, property prices could drop a little bit um, the stock market so what's going to happen interest rates are going to go up 
if you're sitting on cash, we're still in a high inflation environment. Inflation is still at 8%. Your cash is losing purchasing power, right? That's not the right strategy. Bonds, again, this is not the time to be investing in bonds. Your returns are going to be really, really low. Vanguard came up with their uh, with their projections for how index funds were going to perform for the next two years, and they anticipate returns to be four, four to 6%, right? So that's what we're looking at. And when you look at real estate, even with interest rates being the way they are, even um, with the projections for the next few years, if you're picking the right market, if you have the right debt, debt structure, because that's going to affect your ability to hold on to a deal and to be able to weather any market corrections. If you have a conservative deal and you're underwriting conservatively, we're still looking at a greater than 15% average annualized return. And that's, for most of you, that's going to be the big reason why you're going to continue to want to invest in, in real estate at this time, right? Because it's a comparison about how other assets are projected to perform and what we're actually seeing with real estate. Um, and as long as you have the ability to hold, you're investing in the right deals, then it makes absolute sense to invest in real estate. I'm still bullish about multifamily, bullish about real estate. Okay. So the first reason to invest in syndications is going to be why, and you really need to know what returns you're looking for, for it to make sense to you, for you. And this is why I, I really recommend that you download the calculator and you plug your numbers in and play with it and really see what an impact investing in syndications can have for you. The second thing is going to be diversification, right? I've even had people who are active investors who've gone through the program or close friends who uh, have invested in our last deal in Atlanta because they wanted to diversify across markets and they weren't comfortable with an out-of-state portfolio that they were managing using property managers. So multiple reasons. So diversification across ma markets. Uh, a lot of you want to be investing in inflation-adjusted assets that are not correlated to the market and that are, res are recession-resilient. And so just diversifying out-of-index uh, funds is, is, you know, is a big reason for people to want to invest in syndications passively. So returns, diversification, and finally, tax advantages. Now, Real estate per se is tax advantaged. And when you're investing in syndications as limited partners, those tax efficiencies are passed passed on to you. Especially, it's this is especially beneficial to those of you who also have other sources of passive income because you're going to see a huge boost from tax savings in year one, which is why a lot of you want to get into deals this year because 2022 is the last year for 100% bonus depreciation. And if you have passive income and you're able to take the passive losses that you get this year and immediately offset your 2022 passive income, you're going to see a huge boost in your income, right? Um, your effective tax rate is going to go down significantly. And so for those of you who have passive income, um, even for those of you who don't have passive income, all your returns from the syndication are going to be offset by depreciation losses that you get. And at the back end, you know, when there is sale, yes, there is depreciation recapture, there are gains, but there are ways to strategize around taxes at the back end, either with, with a 1031 where the entire um, LLC can 1031 um, its interests or laddering with other syndications that you may be entering or strategizing around other passive losses that you may have, right? And this is something that we can have conversations about. If anyone wants to talk about this, feel free to reach out to me, book a call with me. But there are those tax advantages, right? And so those are the three reasons why you're investing in syndications. It's important to remember this because that's going to drive your decisions in terms of what deals you pick. Now, before we move on to vetting, right, the next part, how do I vet a deal? How do I vet a market? How do I vet a sponsor? I want to take a little bit of time to talk about when you're in the white part, I still want to talk about a few things. Risk, right? A big question is going to be risk. Now, like I said, there's always a spectrum, even within real estate, where um, the deals get riskier, right? And um, you've probably seen diagrams where they talk about this. So the, the less risky deals are your core and your core plus assets, where you have stabilized deals that are throwing out cash flow um, and you're getting lower returns, but that's significantly lower risk. Right. Then you have in the middle, you have value add deals where you're going in, you're doing a rehab, you're adding value and rapidly increasing the value of a property. And that's the beautiful thing about multifamily. When you're increasing your income, when you do a rehab and you can rent it for a higher rent and you're increasing the property's overall income and even raising rents by uh, a few hundred dollars per unit can have a massive impact in terms of millions of dollars in, in the net worth of the of what the property is now valued at, right? And so 
um, value add is like in this in the middle. You buy an asset that's stabilized, that's already built up, it's cash flowing, but you go in and you add value and you're significantly boosting your returns by increasing the property value dramatically, right? So that's in the center. So a lot of syndications you will see, if you're trying to get to that 20% annualized returns, that's where you want to be. You want to be in that value add, which isn't risky because it's already a built up asset. It's already cash flowing, but you're adding value to it and increasing your returns, right? And then you have the highly opportunistic deals, which is where you're going in and doing ground up developments, right? Or, um, it's like it's a massive value add um, in a class D asset. So again, so you have core plus, um, core, core plus value add and opportunistic deals, and you get to pick with the deal that you're going in, uh, what makes sense for your risk profile. So I always say, always think about your risk profile and know what it is before you even start looking at deals so you can see if it makes sense for you. Same thing with markets, right? Um, there are markets that are, and we will talk a little bit about this when you talk about vetting a market, there are ways to pick really strong growth markets and markets that are very landlord friendly that's de-risking your deal per se, right? And so that's another way to um, to manipulate risk and to make sure it fits with your risk profile. Now, um, the, the other thing is the class of the property that you invest in. Um, and I'm going to quickly talk about this for those of you who don't know about it. When we talk about real estate, we talk about four classes, class A properties, class B properties, class C properties, and class D properties, right? Um, and so class A properties are your new properties, top of the end, um, you know, granite uh, or quartz countertops. They are highly amenitized um, and they command the highest rents. Um, and they, you know, you have white collar people in white collar jobs over there. Class D properties on the other end of the spectrum are older properties in uh, neighborhoods with a lot of crime and um, a lot of uh, blue collar jobs, um, a lot of, um, um, you know, the tenant base is very different over there. And then B and C falls in between that. And you can pick where you want to be. Most syndication deals are going to be class B or C, and some of them are going to be class A. Um, again, with class D, C, like, I would say we, most most syndicators stay away from class D properties, but class B and C properties, uh, you're going to have a higher return. Okay, C, especially with C, higher return, you can have higher upside when you rehab them, but there's um, slightly higher risk just because of the tenant base. Class A properties, you may have lower returns, but you also have lower risk and you can decide where you want to be. So when you're assessing your return profile, also assess your risk profile and know where you want to be. And you can use that to analyze a deal. Now, the next thing is going to be, what are you looking for? Are you looking more for cash flow on a monthly basis? Or is that really important to you? Or are you looking for capital growth? Do you want those higher annualized returns over time because you're trying to um, boost your returns and get to financial freedom that much faster, right? This is going to be different for different people based on your um, your risk appetite and uh, based on where you are in your financial independence journey. Um, and so I want to mention this. Uh, I've spoken to a lot of you who are investing in debt funds, right, where you're getting a fixed returns of six or eight percent. Um, and some of you are investing in REITs where you're, again, in that eight to 12 percent returns. Now, both debt funds and REITs, the returns are significantly lower than what you see with value add syndication. And then they're also tax inefficient because the distributions that you get uh, and um, the interest that you get, you are paying taxes on them, right? So that, that, those would be the disadvantages of those uh, asset classes. And then you have syndications. And even within syndications, I, I just want to mention this, you have different classes within a syndication, right? You, can, uh, you have different classes that you could pick as a limited partner. I'm going to talk about the two really important ones that you need to know. Class A typically tends to be those investors who want to have guaranteed cash flow every month. So you, for like in the deals we've had recently, Class A investors get guaranteed 10% returns every year that they're in the deal. Um, and then they still get the tax benefits. A bonus depreciation is passed on to you as a Class uh, A investor. Uh, you have the tax efficiencies but you don't get any part of the upside. So at the end of the deal, every year that you've stayed in the deal, you get 10%. That may be okay for you if you're more focused on cash flow. But a lot of investors, a lot of you on this call are going to fall into the class B category. And what class B means is that you get a preferred return, which means you could get in the deals we have right now, it's anywhere from seven to 8% is what your preferred return is. So for every year you're in the deal, you are going to get seven to eight percent in terms of cash flow. You may not get that upfront, 
Um, that's the difference between A and B because initially we're doing the value add, uh, we're turning the units, we're trying to increase rents. And so cash flow can be lower. It could be three to 4% the first few years and then it starts going up. But at the end, oftentimes this is cumulative. If you haven't received it initially at exit, you get that 7% return to you for every year that you're in the deal, but you also get upside, right? So you get a portion of the profit split, which is what boosts your return significantly. You need to know which makes the most sense for you. And I've had discussions with so many of you, um, some of you, especially those of you who've been investing in debt funds, it's a big step to invest in a syndication. And um, you may not be comfortable with just the class B because you're used to getting that monthly cash flow. So there is a way to blend, do blended returns where you could you know, invest 50,000 in class A, 50,000 in class B. And um, we model that to show you what that would look like in terms of um, annual returns. You know, that's going to be significantly higher. You're getting higher cash flow and you're also getting more upside than you would as just a class A investor, right? But knowing where you want to be in terms of capital growth versus cash flow, where you're in terms of risk, where you want to be in terms of your return, all of that um, is, is super important. Finally, I want to talk about hold periods because I've been getting a lot of questions about longer hold periods. And um, I just wanted to break that down um, because what you have to realize with syndications is that there is a curve, right? In terms of what your returns with the syndication um, do, the first three years that you're in the syndication, that is when, especially with value-add syndications, that's when we're going in, we're catching up all the rents to get them to market rent. That itself can sometimes be a 10% boost in operating income, which in increases your property value uh, again. And that's what we're, we've seen in the last deal we had in Atlanta. That's what we're seeing with the current deal we're having um, in Atlanta also. So that's when you're doing that. You're, you're catching up on your loss to lease. That's when you are doing your rehabs and you're increasing your net operating income um, you know, massively. And what happens is that year one, year two, year three, your, your income is going up significantly. It's a steep upslope. And after that, your returns get muted because after that, you've stabilized the deal, right? And with a longer hold period, what you have to realize is that, which is why most syndicators at the point when they're, you know, they're getting close to stabilization, they're going to start looking for exit because as an investor, right, you've already decided to be passive in this investment. Now, the question is, do you want the upside, the massive returns, which is going to be two to three times what you're getting when the property is stabilized? Do you want to have those significantly higher returns till year three? Or do you want to hold your money once the asset is stabilized? And that's like, that's lazy money that's passive at that point. It's like just, there's no, re you know, it's just free flowing. Now, if you're already passive in the deal, um, wouldn't you want to invest for the upside where somebody else is doing the work? Um, and, rather than holding it in that period where you have muted returns because the asset is already stabilized. You're already passive in the deal, right? That's a question for you to answer. You, Everyone's not going to have the same answer, but it's something that you really want to think about um, seriously. So then the question then becomes, uh, what about risk, Param? If, I'm, if it's a longer-term hold, isn't it less risk? But if that long hold has an initial period of value add, then you're already taking that risk, um, you know, the slightly increased risk that comes with the value add property, because that property is going to be stabilized, the value is going to be increased, you're already taking that. Uh, and most syndicators, even when they plan to exit at year three or year five, they're modeling it out to see what will happen if they need to hold it out longer. And they have the ability to hold the deal for longer if it's going to give their investors the upside. So it's not necessarily less risk when you have a longer hold period. Most syndicators, sophisticated sponsors are modeling for a three to seven year hold period and they have the ability to hold if they need to to be able to give investors the risk, the returns they need. The question you should be asking yourself is, do you want that upside when you're a passive investor? Um, the higher returns, what about liquidity? You know, are you okay with having your uh, a big portion of your capital tied in for a long period of time? When you're investing in your typical value add syndication, the goal is to give you two times your money, so your capital and, um, you know, so 2x that, in a five-year hold period. And sometimes that's three years, sometimes that's seven years, depending on market conditions. But the goal is to remove all of that capital and return it to you so you can take that and then put it into another value-add deal where you're again boosting your returns. Because like I said, it's a game of returns, right? How fast you get to financial freedom depends on what your returns are. And if you are risk-adjusted, you want to have the highest risk-adjusted returns, right? So you want to talk, think about your returns when you're in a long hold, your liquidity, in my opinion, you're oftentimes not, if it's another value add deal that you're going into, the risk is already there. You're already, you know, um, assuming that risk. And then when you're investing, so I always talk about long-term holds when I talk about 
having your direct ownership portfolio. Now, that's different from investing in a syndication because you don't have the step up in basis or the ability to 1031 at exit with your hold in a syndication, right? So oftentimes you have uh, tax consequence or you strategize around it at that point, which you can do if you're exiting in year three or year 10, right? So you don't really have the tax advantage of long-term holds that you do with direct ownership of uh, real estate because you have an ownership interest in real estate. You're not directly owning um, real estate. So that's something to think about. And what I have seen modeling a lot of these, um, uh, you know, the long-term holds versus shorter-term holds out is the holds is that yes, you may have capital gains that you have to pay on your um, on your gains at exit with a syndication where the exit is three to five years. But like I said, oftentimes there are ways to strategize around that at the time of exit. But even with that tax implication, your returns are significantly higher when you are in a value add that is a what we call a buy and wait, right? You buy and you you don't hold, but you wait to see the right point of exit to give you the most returns, right? And so your returns are significantly high. So the quest, so the point is, don't let the tax tail wag the dog. You need to look at your investment returns um, and not just the tax implication. If you're you have a little bit of a tax implication, but your investment returns overall you are significantly higher, then that's something that you need to think about intentionally. Moving on. So we talked about why we talked about, you know, why you're investing in real estate, really talked about your risk returns and what your overall goals need to be. And when you really know the answer to all these questions, then you can look at a deal and be like, hey, you know what, this makes sense for me or this really doesn't fit my risk return profile. Okay, now I'm gonna move on to vetting. Now, as I said, vetting uh, is again, three pronged. It's vetting the market, vetting the sponsors, and then vetting the deal. We're gonna talk about the deal on day two, but we'll talk about vetting the market and vetting the sponsor um, today. Now, vetting the market is very similar for those of you who are in the Creating Generational Freedom coaching program. We talk about this a lot, deep dive into it. It's very, very similar. When you vet the market, when you understand market dynamics, um, you're de-risking the deal. And ideally, a good sponsor is already doing this for you. But I'm just going to go over a few metrics, like a few of the broad, like zoomed out perspective of what you should be looking at and how that affects you uh, so that you feel like you have an understanding of it. Typically, you want to invest in a landlord friendly state. And why? This is because if you need to evict someone because they're not paying rents and because this affects your bottom line, you're able to do it much, much faster in a, in a matter of weeks uh, in a landlord friendly state as opposed to in a state that where laws are tenant friendly, where it could take months, right? The Sun Belt, uh, which is the Carolinas, um, Florida, Tennessee, uh, Georgia, Texas and um, Arizona, they're typically landlord friendly states, which are also business friendly. They've seen so much migration during the pandemic, but in general, a lot of migration happening there. I like investing in the Sunbelt area. Um, a lot of uh, real estate investors do, and that's the reason why. Now, um, the next thing you want to look at is demographic data, right? So what is demographic data? Is there job growth? Is there income growth? Is there population growth, right? Those are the big ones. And for those of you who are looking for an easy resource, I like citydata.com. I've used this a lot. We use this um, even for analyzing our direct ownership portfolios. Um, you know, this is really important and you can use, gather the, the data from there for a zip code or for a, a county. Um, again, uh, so you're looking at those metrics. You want to see consistent job growth, income growth, population growth. You want to see industry diversification. It cannot be based on a few major industries. Um, that is just uh, taking on too much risk. Um, the next thing you want to look at, and this is something that is really important for multifamily investing, is median household income. Now, why is this important? A lot of times you'll say sponsors in their underwriting, um, they'll talk about we're going to increase rent from you know, $1,000 to $1,200 and they will show you rent comps to show that this is what other apartments are renting for that, that are similarly sized that are upgraded. But you need to know that the population over there can um, sustain that, can pay that rent. And that's where median household income comes in. Now, let's take an example. Suppose median household income is $72,000 annually, right? So that's $6,000 a month is the median household um, income over there. And 
typically a third people can allocate a third of their income to rent which means that rents can go up to two thousand dollars over there and your underwriting should support that should support that right and it's a very easy way for you to make sure and most sponsors sophisticated sponsors are providing you with this data and then you can easily look to see oh well that makes sense and oftentimes there's a huge discrepancy your rents your projected you know your target rents may only be 1700 and you have um, 72,000 in median household income you know that you're going to be able to increase your rents to that point and the the population is going to be able to pay the rent uh, in that area that's important um, a good sponsor is also showing you market study where they're showing you what rents are like in other apartments that are of the same vintage vintage just means the year that it was constructed in uh, and um, and so you want to look at the market study you want to look at rent comps in the area and you also want to know what rent growth is like now atlanta the market the uh, the southern atlanta submarket that we're investing in rent growth was 18 to 24 percent um year over year right um now just knowing that is helpful when we talk about underwriting i'm going to talk about how you don't want to put that in the model you want to be very conservative in your assumptions but knowing what your on your rent growth is is very very helpful for you to analyze the market other things like good school districts, low crime, um, being in a path, the path of progress, having a Whole Foods, having Starbucks, Trader Joe's, all of that. Those are good things to look at. Real estate is hyper local. And so um, to say that, you know, oh, the market is is doing poorly or the market did poorly is not really accurate because every sub market um, you know, response differently to uh, different market cycles. And that's important to remember. So that's about it for market and keeping very simple, uh, giving you a broad overview. Let's move on to sponsor. Okay. Now, how do you vet a sponsor when you're trying to vet a sponsor? And this is a big part of what you're doing, right? You really need to know, uh, like, and trust your sponsor. Um, and I feel like vetting a sponsor is two pronged, right? Uh, a big part of it is going to be their ability to deliver but then you also want you want to know if there is alignment of interest right so those are those are two things so let's start off with um ability to deliver this is easy you look at the track record and when you look at the track record i want you to look at their truck track record in that sub market okay so at least in that market in that msa um look at their track record for you know in that specific asset class um so have do they have experience in managing 200 plus unit apartment complexes or 400 plus unit apartment complexes whatever matches the deal um that you're looking at because managing um apartment complexes that are under 100 units is very different um from um you know managing larger assets so you want to see that they have track record and if they don't have track record make sure that they're partnering with people with uh co-sponsors their boots on the ground they have someone in the team who um, does have experience in that submarket or with uh, with you know with that size of apartments? That's really important. Um, the next thing is going to be assets under management. So, what does their current portfolio look like? How many market cycles have they survived? Um, how many times have they gone full circle? Have they met expectations when they did that? Were they able to maintain distributions? Uh, and if they weren't. You know, that doesn't always mean that it was the sponsor's fault. Sometimes market cycles um, uh, shift and they are they are um, they are maneuvering um, what is out, out of their control. But you want to really have those discussions with them. Right. Did they have a capital call ever? Um, and then, like I said, I like it when uh, the sponsor team is two to three sponsors, at least because everyone has their zone of genius and um it also takes away the risk of a sponsor having a health issue and then um you know not being able to monitor the deal right so um, that's something i like to see what is their relationship with government sponsored enterprises uh, because that's that's fannie mae freddie mac uh, that's going to affect their ability to get really good loan terms um, and so that's something to look at also so that's what we look at to see if they're going to be able to deliver right so that's that's one part of it now the, the next part is going to be alignment of interest. So how do I know that they are committed to the deal and committed to performing well in the deal? And I think the most important thing here, and there are so many different ways to look at this, and a lot of them, the factors that are looked at, I think have pros and cons, and there are perspectives. But the important thing to remember is that when someone has a brand or a reputation um, that they've taken years to build, they are they're committed to it because it just takes seconds to just destroy your reputation or destroy the, the brand image. And that's not a risk that they'll be willing to take. And so it's really hard to gauge the character of a sponsor, but when they have a brand or reputation to protect, um, that gives you confidence that their interests are aligned with yours. Um, and the other things, um, they need to be 
uh, transparent. You want to make sure that they're providing you with the data you ask for. Communication, they have to be very responsive. Um, and, you know, oftentimes you want to know if the, the they are the loan guarantors or if they're using a loan guarantor, because if they are the loan guarantors, then they uh, are more committed to the deal. When we when you come down to uh, other things such as uh, sponsor capital investment, yes, I always invest alongside you guys. Uh, the the sponsors that I work with are my mentors and close friends, uh, and they also always put their own capital in the deal. Um, there are different perspectives. That's again something where there are pros and I mean, so it's not like um, everyone has a different perspective about that. But I do, we do invest with our sponsor uh, with our uh, investors. Um, it's something to look for. I don't know if it's a make or break. Um, the next thing would be uh, profit splits, right? Um, so profit splits. I want to give you what industry standards look like, right? So when you're investing in syndications, most sponsors uh, will have a 70-30 split for the syndication, which means that, you know, uh, having a 70-30 split just means that the LPs, uh, those of you who are investing passively at exit, whatever profit is there after the loan is paid out, after your capital is returned, after your preferred return is uh, paid out to you, whatever is, is, is left behind, there's a split of the profit and 70% goes to the limited partners and the sponsors take 30%, right? So the GPs, the people who are doing the work, they take 30% and that's called promote. Now, um, there's variance. There can be waterfall structures where a sponsor starts off with a 70% split to LPs, 30% to the GPs, but after a certain hurdle is met. So after a certain IRR, and we're going to talk about these metrics, uh, we'll talk more about the fees and metrics um, on day two. But after a certain hurdle is met, the split can go to 50-50. There are sponsors who start out with a 50-50 split, 50% to the sponsors, 50% to the um, LPs. This is something where I think there are different perspectives, and I'll tell you why. I I think end of the day, you need to look at the returns that are being projected for you as a limited partner. And if these returns already have the fees and the split factored into it, looking at the return and making sure it meets your risk reward profile gives you a better analysis um, uh, of, you know, of whether the deal meets your requirements. Right. And so, um, so, so that's the range in terms of what, um, uh, what the profit sp split looks like. We'll talk more about it in day two. The next question is always going to be fees, right? Are lower fees or no fees better? Um, so let me tell you a little bit about what fees look like. Um, typically, there is a fee at acquisition for uh, helping, um, you know, for putting the deal together and um, doing all the due diligence, putting up the upfront, um, the capital uh, required for the deal to, to be able to close and doing all of that work. Uh, sponsors can charge anywhere from one to 3% of the prop purchase price uh, in, in acquisition fees. Then there's asset management fee, which is the fee, which is separate from what the property managers get paid, but the sponsors um, may take an asset management fee, which is typically around 1%. It could be 1% of, capital invested or 1% of the income that is being generated. Um, so there, there are different ways of calculating that. So that's, um, that's during asset management. And then there can be a fee, there could be a fee during exit that's called a disposition fee, which again is typically around 1%. Um, some sponsors may have these fees, others may not. Um, and uh, it's really important for you, I think, in my opinion, to look at the overall returns after all the fees and the splits have been factored in. And I'll, I'll deep dive into this a little bit. But the other thing I wanted to talk about was vertical integration, right? And again, it's one of those things where there are pros and cons to vertical integration. And I've seen people you know, have a preference one way or the other. But again, it's going to be a preference. It's going to be a perspective. There is no right or wrong answer over there. Um, the, the important thing, in my opinion, because if you have a property manager, if you're vertically integrated, um, like I've seen uh, institutional players where they have that vertical integration and that property management limb is not performing well, but it's not something they can't fire and, and hire someone else when it's when it's a third party. You have more control over how they're performing. You have the ability to replace them if they don't do a good job. So again, the pros and cons over there, vertical integration may um, may you know give you a higher return. Again, so again, pros and cons over there. But the overall thing to look at, in my opinion, is always going to be: do the returns meet your risk reward profile? Okay, there are different ways of looking at splits. Um, some people look at at no at no fees and um, and having a, a waterfall structure like I talked about, where after hitting a certain hurdle, the sponsor is then able to get a higher return. They look at it as incentivizing the sponsor to perform well. But there there are different ways of looking at it. That may also mean that the sponsor is really 
not getting a great return until they hit a certain hurdle and therefore they may take more risk to get to that point and that may not what you that may not be what you want them to be doing so there are different ways of looking at it um, no real right or wrong answer over there and but then i think the thing to remember with splits is that the cumulative uh, preferred return that i talked about when you're getting we can talk, and we'll talk more about this when we talk about the deal per se when you're getting your cumulative seven percent return from the project every year in cash flow as a class B investor, oftentimes, um, you know, especially the deals that I've been in, the sponsor has a catch up, which means that until they've paid you your 7% for every year that you're in the deal, they don't get their split uh, uh, from cash flow, uh, right? So um, there's a lot of different ways to structure it. And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. As long as the, you trust the sponsor and as long as the returns make sense for you, um, I think um, that is the, that's, that's the bigger thing to be looking at. Um, and just to give you perspective, um, when someone says that there are no fees, the question is, is the sponsor going to take more risk than to get to promote? But that's, you know, again, it, bo it just boils down to character. That's where that the brand and having a reputation that they that, you know, if, they, if their reputation is more important to them, then they're going to do the right thing. Right. So um, that so that's important to remember. Now, um, if someone if a sponsor does not have a profit split during the initial part of the investment now, they're putting a lot of time and effort to get to the point where they're producing that opportunity, even to bring you a well, well-researched, well-underwritten acquisition um, opportunity. They need to have a really strong team with a lot of people, uh, analysts, um, you know, um, uh, asset managers, uh, the people in the acquisition team, and and that has tremendous value. That's oftentimes months of work, um, and then there's at-risk capital over there, and and they get compensated for their effort and expense with fees. And so one way of looking at it, and Brian Burke says this in his book, Hands Off Investors, fees are for what they're doing. And then the promote is for the results that they're giving. So there's no right or wrong way. Um, if there is a deal where there are no fees, but your average annualized returns are 8%, right, versus another deal where you have 2% in acquisition fees, but a 20% average annualized return. And then and that's after you want to make sure that that it, the numbers they're giving you that's after the fees are baked in the fees and the pro sponsor splits are baked into the projected returns and then they, both of those deals have the same um, risk profile which one would you pick that's I, I feel like that is going to be the most important question for you okay great so we talked about vetting the deal we talked I'm sorry we talked about vetting the market and vetting the sponsor the next thing and like I said it's oftentimes it boils down to those returns of really really understanding those returns so the next thing we're going to talk about is vetting the deal. What are the performance metrics that you need to be looking at? And you really can't look at those performance metrics without looking at the assumptions that were used to get you to that point. And so next time we're done for now, <laughs> guys, hopefully this was simple. I tried my best to keep it super simple, but understanding the performance metrics, what are industry standards? You can use that to analyze the deal you're looking at. What are the assumptions that are being used to get to those performance metrics? That is more important than the actual numbers. We'll talk more about fees. We'll talk about debt structures. We'll talk about stress testing the deal. And trust me, you can do this. This is really, I'm going to keep it very easy, very high level, but what you need to be able to do so that you can ensure that the deal fits your risk reward spectrum. Yeah, I really wanted to break this down because it's actually super simple. And all of you are super smart. Uh, it's just that there isn't a lot of conversation around it. And I wanted to be able to break it down, simplify it so that you can use this every time you're looking at a deal. But you can go in really knowing, understanding your why first and then knowing how to vet a deal so that you then look at a deal and say, you know what, this makes absolute sense for me. Um, so that's the goal. I will see all of you again for day two. Uh, which is going to be next Monday at 4 p.m. Right, thank you, guys. If you're interested in learning how to invest in long-term and short-term rentals the right way so you can accelerate to financial independence with the support of mentorship, community, and vetted investor agents in strong markets across the country, then get on the waitlist for the next cohort of Creating Generational Freedom at www.generationalwealthmd.com. You don't have to learn from decades of costly mistakes by yourself. The program is only open for enrollment in the spring and fall each year. In the last six months alone, our members have acquired over $60 million of real estate. And more importantly, they're living life and practicing medicine on their terms. You don't have to do it alone.